Welcome to another episode of The Shift with Elena Agar. In this discussion, I chat with Dorothy Dalton. So she's a human capital strategist and this organizational development person, basically working with organizations to help them build pipelines, discuss kind of gender gaps, if there are any in organization, and really just make sure that there's access and um, fairness in the workplace. And so we talked a lot about uh, kind of the, the gender equation in the workplace and what does that look like, um, you know, when it comes to men and women in a workplace and is it accessible is it fair and so on we talked about um gen z's and kind of the challenges that we have right now with young 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 talent pipelines like are there enough actual people coming into the workplace we talked about skill gaps and we also we talked about the difference between u.s markets and european markets and what can candidates do from their side to stand out more in front of employers uh, wherever they may be enjoy the conversation Dorothy, welcome to the Shift Podcast. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. So thank you for inviting me. I am very excited to chat with you because as you know, as I mentioned before we start recording, I've been connecting to you on LinkedIn and following your content since about 2020, if not before. And um, I very much appreciate the work you're putting out there and all the tips and strategies and the work that you do within kind of, you know, as an HR influencer, almost I see you as this, this person who is a talent slash HR influencer out there. So tell me, how did you come about to being passionate and just putting all this uh, interesting information out there? Well, I, I mean, just very briefly, I, I started my early career in the steel industry. And to give you some idea of um, how it was back then, we were out of 150 graduate trainees, we were three women. And um, that was supposed to be um, a gender balance initiative. So I, I started my career in, in the most brutal way. So I, I entered the steel industry as this like green behind the ears, like graduate trainee. And I came out, you know, as hard as nails, really, really tough. And I have probably experienced and witnessed every type of bullying, discrimination, exclusion. I mean, all the terms that we, we think of um, now. And so I think that I had my early entry into diversity, inclusion, gender balance way back at the beginning. And so it wasn't so much that I went into diversity and inclusion, but it came to me because I've always been involved in it. Mm, that's interesting. And so over this last, you know, you, you've spent many years in this career so far. What has been the biggest shifts that you've seen? Like something that's not immediate, like, okay, yes, yes, the, the gender gap tends to be a closing and getting a little bit better, right? But then are there any other um, things that you've noticed when you were just entering the workforce versus now that is not as obvious, but has, have made significantly progress? Well, I, I think that, I mean, just to give you, for instance, in, in the steel industry, um, male trade unionists would refuse to participate with a woman in the room. Um, and all the guys used to leave um, leave the negotiating table. I, I would be there with my little yellow pad like an intern and they would go to the bathroom and I've made, made all these notes and they would come back and the whole strategy was completely different. So what I've observed is, is this blatant sexism and discrimination is, is much reduced. Um, mm -hmm. What I have seen is that it, some of the more covert um, techniques and strategies are still ongoing. And I honestly thought when, um, you know, when when I was going through this myself, that by I, I've got a daughter and grandkids now. And I, 
honestly thought it would be all sorted. I thought we would have gender balance, we would have um, diversity and inclusion, it would all be dealt with. But um, I think that even though the main the main things have gone or they're not around anymore, they're not allowed by law, um, that some of the covert things are still very much present. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in tech and I definitely see some um, just just challenges, I guess, are definitely not as bad as the, the 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 scenario you described, of course, but there's definitely still room to be um, to for improvement. But have you noticed is it is it is it because this whole diversity and inclusion kind of arena has transformed? So earlier it was just about kind of women in a workplace, but now we have so many other more complex, not more, but just so many other complex situations that just keep getting piled on and on onto this bigger uh scheme of you know diversity inclusion and you know equity and all of that so do you have any thoughts about that well i i, th I think it's definitely more complex i mean i mean i think certainly um gender certainly in you know back in the 80s was two genders and now then it's it's much more complicated. We focused on things that are discriminatory. So um, it, physical ability, race, religion, all the ones that in many geographies are covered by, by legislation. But I think what we really didn't know about was the depth of unconscious bias. Uh, and that's what I'm doing a lot of work on at the moment, trying to address these inequities in, in our systems, mm. I mean, particularly the hiring process, particularly the pro promotion process, not just for women, but all underrepresented talent. Hmm. And so talking a little bit about the talent pipeline, do you have any examples of the systemic challenges that you've identified when it comes to like hiring, promotions, processes, and how, how you know, what are some ways to address those? Well, I mean, truthfully, it's where to start. I mean, um, it, the, the, whole, the whole system is riddled with with bias and i and i think i've always been a pipeline person i mean i wrote a post way back in 2012 that how i was bored with boards because i could see all these senior women being if you like dropped in at a senior level but it wasn't solving the problem because you still didn't have um gender balance in the pipeline so you we see unconscious bias in um job postings we uh particularly women in TA face it when they do the intake interviews. We see it in the interview itself. There are so many ways, and I've, I've been doing a lot of research on this um, about how how women and other non-underrepresented groups are discriminated in interviews, just that men talk more, they dominate the interview. Um, you, the combination of late starts for interview is usually with a, when a man is interviewing a woman. I mean, there, it's, there are so many small things that need to change. Then it's in compensation, it's in pay, it's in feedback. Um, do you want me to go on? Yeah, I mean, no, it's, 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 I mean yeah. it, it is in, in every human interaction, there is some sort of a bias. And what we're even finding, there is even bias in AI. And if you're in tech, then, then you know this. So, I mean... I don't think I see people say, you know, we can we can um, rule out or take out unconscious bias. We're never going to be able to do that because it's it's who we are. Um, but what we do have to learn is how to make it manageable and how mm. we can um, become accountable. We we don't have to. Be, we're not blaming anyone, but we need to hold ourselves accountable and make the changes in our systems to make them more equitable. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think all of these things are just, um, it's just about that awareness and then, you know, doing your best as a human being to not be, you know, just, uh, you know, falling into the trap of bias, but it's, it's, a, it's a human thing, I guess, to, to, to have. But you know what I've noticed also in, in my career so far is when it comes to uh, women in a workplace, sometimes, then again, this is my experience, obviously, I might be wrong, but it seems like the women are sometimes the biggest blockers to another woman's growth and success. And so there's almost this competitive nature to women. And I don't know if it's because the the top is so, you know, small, like it's more leaner. And so there's competition and it's, you know what I mean? And as a woman who was, you know, gone through the ranks and et cetera, maybe at that point you kind of become like, okay, it's like a, uh, it has to be me type mentality, but I see more blockers from women in the workplace than men. Any thoughts on that? I, I, I won't say there are more from um, women than men because there are just fewer women. But I mean, I, 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 see, I do see what you're saying. And I think that we automatically assume that because there is a woman there that she will be supportive. Um, but that's not very often the case. It can be what we call, you know, the queen bee syndrome, where mm -hmm. they're used to being the only woman in the room. They come up the hard way, you know, they bust their chops to get there and they they just like it the way it is. Um, and then you, you get the others who actively sabotage um, the other women who are trying to 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 progress. And and that is that is really difficult to deal with, but it, it has to be dealt with. And this is where systemic change can help. Because if organizations have systems in place, indiv the influence of individuals, whether male or female, will be great greatly reduced. Mm. I can also see how maybe a coaching, like individual coaching uh, with specific leaders and managers in particular, and people that are responsible to or for recruitment can possibly help. Because I can't help but think that, you know, some of us just, we don't know what we don't know. And um and, you know, even through my own experiences, when when I speak with a coach who is unbiased and who is, you know, very objective opinion, who is no, no, not somebody I know personally and so on, it's almost like I'm able to be a little bit more honest and transparent about things I don't know. And then it helps me learn and kind of navigate my career path according. So I wonder, you know, what you think about coaching as a one tool to to minimize some of these things we're dealing with? I mean, I think any any tool that creates awareness um is great and and some people prefer that one-to-one -one on coaching or small group coaching than the the big awareness um courses that people run i mean i i think and i, I love this line that inclusion starts with i so anything that you can do to modify your own behavior learn your own biases find out what your um trigger points are and then and strategies to help you deal with them but it can't be done without systemic change. Mm. So you really have to get into your hiring systems, your promotion systems, all of these, and the individual behavior, because they're obviously going to play a, a part in the talent pipeline. And again, speaking on the talent pipelines, uh, I almost see as this challenge, and this is my, my guess, that this challenge of... Um, especially between women, men and women in workplaces, like with the baby boomers, it was significant with the Gen X also. Yes. With the millennials. Um, also there's now, you know, I'm, a, I'm an elderly millennial, so I can, I can feel that, but with the Gen Z's coming in, it's probably going to change significantly. Let me read you a statistic. So right now um, in America, and at least in America, and I'm curious how it, how it is in Europe uh, where you are, but men between ages of 24 and 40, 
spend an average 2000 hours a year on their computer screens and kind of going through self-medicating. We also have a lot of men, young males within uh, uh, brackets of like 18 to 30 that also are just completely checking out from the workplace. So less males are entering the workplace, um, like compared to previous generations, for example, than ever because they're just, or uh, we're talking about just like kind of those regular corporate jobs. Maybe they're doing some other small jobs just to make a living. A lot of them are actually living off of their parents or maybe significant others and so on. So it seems like we also have this, you know, you know, epidemic of males who are just not even wanting to enter the workforce. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. And I think the other thing is that they're not going to college in the States right. in the way that they used to. And I mean, I think this is my own theory. And I was at um, an HR conference in Paris last week and Josh Burson did the kickoff talk. Mm. And one, he it wasn't his opening statement, but it was one of the first things he said, which is we're running out of people. Yeah. And it's not so much that we, um, AI is taking over, because this is also something that came from Corn Ferry, is that we have um, skill set deficit and we don't have people with the right skills and we have reduced a reduced birth rate. We have reduced people entering the workforce. So basically what is happening, and this is a person, well, me and Joss Burton, um <laughs> think this, is that the workplace isn't keeping up with the outside world. And you can actually see this in um, the return to the office. So all the strides that we made in the pandemic about flex, hybrid, um, working from home, and all of these other things, we're now seeing a pushback on this from leaders. And as you say, you've got low levels of engagement. You've got even some, some Gen Z that don't want to enter the workforce. We've got um, the great resignation, not the, the great resignation, the, um, the quiet quitting thing. Um, and all of these things that, that are just conveying a message that the old business model, if you come in, you work a 10 hour day, you know, you make sacrifices in your personal life and you will get the reward at the end. And I think there are a lot of people that are not buying into that anymore. So we have mm. to we have to make our workplaces more attractive to mm. a new generation that has different expectations. And I think we're being a little bit slow on picking up on that. Mm. Well, I, I, I here I tend to this is where I'm kind of like half half on on, the, on this whole work from home. I think that part of the push to get back into the office is of course the commercial real estate market. <laughs> so let's be realistic. A lot of it is that. A lot of it is like companies like, wait a minute. So a lot of it is things outside of just remote work because we know that a lot of people can be more productive at work. And, and I mean, at home and work still gets done. But for the younger populations, at least I've seen this uh, impact in the work. I do a lot of young talent pipeline kind of programs. And what I've seen is there's a huge difference between young talent who would join a company virtually, meaning young talent, those graduating from university in the last few years, versus those that are actually encouraged or required to come into the office once or twice a week for a certain period of time just to get acclimated with the culture. So I think for younger generations, it is, in my opinion, um, for majority, sure, others, some that can do this effectively and, and have a healthy social environment and a social circle or maybe work at a at a, um, a co-working space, but a lot of a lot of the issues that young people are dealing with right now, which is mental health, loneliness, disconnect, disengagement, 
can be helped if they actually come to the office and, and learn how to navigate the politics of the workplace, the, knowing how to deal with conflict, and it will help their career significantly. I think there's some real data around that, and I'm in full support yeah. of young people being in the, in the workplace. It becomes complicated, I think, when you start talking about other generations, well, how does that look like and who's leading by example and all of that. So I, I, I do agree that, you know, there needs to be a different thing that we offer, but I think, you know, point blank, like young people need to be in office, not only for their career growth, but also for prospects in relationships, building personal relationships, professional. And um, yeah, so it's, um, it's definitely the same. And certainly that's been my experience dealing with um, that, that age group is that um, it, 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 because a, a lot of the learning that you do is by osmosis. It's assimilation of just being around people who are, um, who are who are talking about things and you absorb it whereas I think now when you're working if you're remote all the time then you have to be much more intentional and mm. quite often they don't know which questions to ask but it's also about leaders creating an atmosphere where they encourage young people to do that even if it's remotely um, and truthfully do you think managers have, have bridged that gap I think there's I think there's a gap there at with them as well because managers are like the cheese in the sandwich aren't they they're being you know squashed from the top to get better results and you've got this rebellion going on underneath and um and and they're just almost on burnout i mean because mm. they're just so, so overstretched so i think it, i think it's a really difficult thing to manage and i'm not sure that having a blanket rule of getting everyone back to the office five days a week is going to help yeah yeah, definitely not five days a week and not everybody, but some kind of mixture. Um, is it similar uh, in Europe uh, in terms of just some of the things we're talking about, like the 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 young talent, the young, you know, especially the young males coming into the workforce? Is it similar challenges people you're seeing in Europe or is it a very Americanized I thing? I haven't I haven't read that. I mean, I, I think I mean, they, they're still having some mental health issues with, with young men. I think that's a global a global problem. I mean, certainly I'm based in Brussels and judging by the rush hour traffic, um, I, I think that hybrid is is the norm. I know a lot of organizations that are cutting back on office space. And then people um, have they have, you know, the hoteling arrangement where you book your desk. Um, and I think there are a lot of organizations that are doing that where hybrid is possible, but then you have a lot of young people who don't always have the accommodation because mm -hmm. in Europe, our apartments and our houses are much smaller. I mean, they're not like in the States where they're much, you know, they're big and spacious. So they might be sharing a flat with somebody or, they, you know, they might be living with their parents. So there are all of these social issues going on, which we we really need to be more aware of than just having a workplace pers persona and then a, a, a non-professional persona. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I think there are a lot of like cultural, social things that are different between the U.S. Um, and and uh, another thing that we kind of see this huge phenomenon is a lot of people changing careers. Some some people, a lot of layoffs as well happening, at least in the U.S. and, and some of the larger organizations. And there are probably still some to come. 
So when you are dealing in this very competitive market, and I'm curious how it is in Europe at the moment, because I know Europe has its own dynamics because then the language plays a huge role and Europe is so diverse in many ways, right? So language plays a role as well. So, you know, within your experience of just career development and career coaching and making sure candidates are like, you know, presenting themselves at the top level, what are some things that you can recommend for people to do as they're navigating career change or just job search? Well, I think in Europe, we don't have the same volatility that, that you have um, in the States. I mean, for example, in Belgium, which is a very conservative country, we only had 3% of job movement last month, which is really, really low. Um, in fact, it's almost unhealthily low. Mm -hmm. um, but what we do have is skill set shortages. And that that's right across Europe. I think um, Germany has 1 million open jobs. So I think it, it's about... Um, really for individuals if they were if they're trying to career pivot or um, change jobs is really to identify their transferable skills and to present themselves raise their visibility have a personal brand and to to network mm -hmm. and and i think particularly now that um the pandemic well i won't say that the pandemic is over and covid is still around but the pandemic is over um that to stop personally networking yeah um, so I think that I would do all of those things. Mm. And when you talk about the skill shortage, what are some of the skills that you see are, you know, big chunks like here in the States, some of the bigger ones we see are within the cybersecurity roles, um, particularly because it's just so like, they, you know, people that you look for cybersecurity people, they're very like, they want unicorns because they need to have all these extreme certifications. We also have a shortage in healthcare. Um, in those sort of roles, but what is it in Europe right now that you're seeing? Um, I, I think there's a shortage in tech, there's a shortage in manufacturing, um, I, but at the same time, they're laying people off. Mm. And, and, I, and I, think it, I think what I feel is hard for job seekers is that how to position themselves and they get really frustrated because they might be fully, or they think they're fully qualified and they mightn't be successful. So I, I think what I would like to see is organizations being more flexible in the way they assess candidates and not sticking to rigid, you know, things like academic qualifications, number of years experience, that sort of thing. I think we've just got to be more flexible about things like that. Mm -hmm. And job job seekers have to address either, the, you can call it the pain points or the opportunity points of the job ad. Last executive search that I ran, 86% of the candidates were not just unqualified, they were wildly unqualified. Mm -hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of candidates are just doing easy apply, they're sending off for everything. But it's really important to, I think, focus on fewer applications, but make sure that they're targeted. And if possible, focus um, followed up by networking, try and reach out to people in the, the organization to make mm -hmm. sure that um, that maybe you have an in or you have an insight into the way the company um, is managed or run. Hmm. And I know you post a lot of these kind of articles and blogs and tips and polls and all sorts of super useful information on your LinkedIn. Is that the best place to for people to find you and follow you? Or is there some yeah, else? I mean, definitely um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Always happy to connect. And and particularly for job seekers, there, there is so much rich content out there. there. There's a lot of snake oil, as you know. I mean, people flogging products that are cheap. Um, but it's really important to be strategic and do your due diligence about the type of information that you want to read and, and, to, and to implement for your own job search. 
And last question I have for you that I ask all of my guests is what is one question you wish people would ask themselves more often? That's a really hard question to answer. <laughs> I, I, I think that what I would like to see is people really develop self-awareness around what their real goals are. So that it doesn't matter how the question is phrased, but is, I mean, to use the Marie Kondo, does this spark joy? Is this, go, is this where I really want to be? Mm, that's a good question. Is this what I really want to be? Or what I really want to do? Mm -hmm. I love those. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much for being a guest. I'm really glad we finally got connected uh, all these years later. And uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Mm -hmm.